Hi, everyone. A quick message before we start today's podcast. ATS Scholar is planning a special themed collection on combating racism in health professions education. Relevant topics include teaching how to identify and interrupt microaggressions, curricula on health disparities, work on methods for diversifying incoming trainees, and tools for educators on how to reduce bias. You can learn more by visiting the link in this episode's show notes or by visiting us at atsjournals.org slash scholar submission. That's one word, atsjournals.org slash scholar submission. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's episode. This podcast is brought to you by the American Thoracic Society. We help the world breathe. everybody and welcome to the ATS Scholarly Podcast. I'm Dr. Graham Carlos and I'm thrilled today to be bringing you this next installment. We have two authors who are very familiar to our section on medical education within the ATS and may be familiar to you as their names have appeared in other scholarly activities throughout the years. Um, Without further ado, I'd like to turn it over to Dr. Anna Brady to introduce herself uh, to all of our listeners today. Hi, Anna. Hi, Graham. Well, thanks for having us on today. Uh, I'm excited to be here. Um, so I am an assistant professor in the Division of Pulmonary and Critical Care Medicine at Oregon Health and Science University in Portland, Oregon. And at OHSU, I have a handful of educational roles. I'm an associate program director for our Pulmonary and Critical Care Fellowship core faculty in the IM program. And I also do some teaching in the medical school uh, where I am a coach. Like many of us medical educators, you wear many hats and you wear them well. So thank you for being here with us. Uh, How about your co-pilot today? Hey, Deepak, tell us a little bit about yourself. Hi, Graham. Again, thank you so much for having us on. Uh, I'm Deepak Pradhan. I am one of the assistant professors at NYU, New York University School of Medicine. Uh, I am also associate program director of the Pulmonary Critical Care Fellowship there. And I spend most of my time as an intensivist, both at NYU main campus, Tisch, uh, along with Bellevue Hospital as well. I love how we have opposite sides of the country coming in together with me, the man in the middle from Indiana. So uh, we've, got, we've got it all covered. Now, I was interested to learn, Anna, that um, when you were originally ruminating over this paper and this idea, uh, you were the one that reached out to Deepak. Uh, can you tell me a little bit more about how that came to be that you guys became co-authors? Sure. Uh, so I had remembered that Deepak had given a talk on this topic at ATS in the last couple of years that I'd gone to and found really engaging. And I had used some of the suggestions from that talk in my own teaching subsequently. So I thought that I would uh, check back in with him and I knew his expertise would be great for this topic. I love that. So frequently we're inspired by what we consume. And I love how you took that next step and actually reached out to uh, the producer of what you consume to collaborate together. That's a a terrific way for those of you listening uh, to network uh, and create scholarly stuff like these two have. Their publication entitled Learning Without Borders, Asynchronous and Distance Learning in the Age of COVID-19 and Beyond uh, is appearing now in ATS Scholar. And um, and I'll start with you. One of the points that you guys make in this paper that I think is going to be particularly valuable to kind of the digital naive is what advantages uh, asynchronous and distance learning have, because I think a lot of people might be thinking, ugh, I don't want to go online with all this stuff and create this stuff. But 
you did such a nice job uh, inspiring people to do this because you found that in some ways that it can be very advantageous. Can you expand on that a little more? Yeah, absolutely. I think one of the things that we found that was kind of a surprise that I know some other programs have found as well, that in moving to a remote learning format, we actually had better attendance at some of our conferences. Um, and so as an example, you know, we have the morbidity and mortality conference that is early in the morning. And it was a little bit of a tough time for a lot of people. But since moving to a remote format, we've been able to get great attendance and have really robust discussion over that, um, you know, over our uh, remote conferencing platform. Um, so I think that's one advantage is it can allow for some flexibility in terms of attendance. Uh, we also found that because we were able to easily record conferences that our learners who were on night float rotations were still able to get the content whereas they would definitely have missed out previously. That makes a ton of sense, especially at campuses where travel is involved as well. Uh, you're able to kind of tune in and not have to waste time walking in between buildings. And then I, I didn't think about the nighttime element. That, that's another great point. Um, Deepak, what else, uh, as you ruminated on this, did you see as advantages to asynchronous and distance learning? Sure. Uh, definitely agree with everything Anna just said. Um, you know, the, the idea is that now all of a sudden this, it was a very constructivist type of mentality where you could network in a lot more individuals, people who couldn't be there in that exact same time and place. Um, the other, and so it's very much more inclusive is the idea. Mm -hmm. A lot of the interesting relationships that get created in this kind of networked fashion as well is, is uh, pleasant. Uh, I also think it allows for a lot of reflection and thought, especially when you do asynchronous types of learning where rather than you're there, you hear somebody speak and say something and you have, I don't know, a few seconds to actually respond to them in a traditional one hour lecture uh, format, you can actually ruminate a bit and think about it and then write about it or ask questions at a later time. And so there's a lot of opportunity to reflect and think with asynchronous learning. And the last point would also be the concept of situated learning as well. So the idea is that if you're, let's say doing a sleep rotation, and you're learning about parasomnias uh, in a lecture format, you're gonna you know, be able to understand that better because you're seeing those patients. You also have attendings that re with ready access that you can ask questions to. Whereas if in that same sleep rotation, you're learning about necrotizing fasciitis, maybe you're not gonna be able to apply that information at that given time is the idea. And then of course, there's the biggest advantage, which is less dissemination and exposure to COVID-19. So I mean, it's also kind of a <laughs> Yeah, social distancing. Social distancing. So um, yeah, so, you know, looking at asynchronous learning, especially, it's, there's so many advantages. You can plan it out. You can be deliberate. Um, it's not so much on the fly. You can be very intentional with what you want to cover and how you cover it. it it's made some wonder, why don't, why don't we do this all the time? What why don't we go completely asynchronous? What, what do you guys see as the value in trying to keep that kind of didactic feel to lectures? I'm curious for either one of you to answer that one. Sure. Well, I think there are, again, there are some practical considerations. I think for many of us who are not as well-versed in creating asynchronous uh, didactics, it does take a little bit of work to kind of redo your traditional uh, talk that was aimed at a live synchronous audience into an asynchronous format. And so I think 
you know, practically speaking, there's some kind of time cost that goes into that. I think the other, there are two other uh, issues for me. One is, I think there is really a component to sort of the human connection of interacting with other learners. And I think there are some ways to mitigate that. I came across some papers about, you know, for completely asynchronous courses using a discussion board to promote some kind of social connection in addition to uh, using it to reflect on questions about the content. Um, but I think there is a an element of kind of real-time synchronous human connection that that does get lost. Um, and then the last thing is that there's a there certainly have been some studies showing that even though learners might like asynchronous learning, they don't always use all the resources that you've created. And so I think certainly depending on how you, you know, what course you're doing and what content you're moving and how you're organizing it, you can mandate some things or have some accountability. But I do think that there's at least some data suggesting that as much as learners like the idea of using all those videos that they posted, they may not actually get all of the content in that format. Yeah, and I'm going to come to you with this, Deepak. Uh, I, in reading your paper, I found that to be one of the more uh, interesting points you guys made, which was that uh, you can make great asynchronous and distance learning curricula and sessions. However, there's a large chunk of people that still want that face-to-face -face live time. Why, why do you think that is? Is it uh, just a product of our human nature and what in that oxytocin surge of being around people? Or is it just that that's the way they've always learned and so it's a comfort to our learners that have grown up in elementary and secondary education in a classroom setting? What do you think it is? You know, I mean, I think that there's a few things. One is that everybody's different as a learner. And so I don't think one style matches for everyone. And so, you know, and also for the given activity as well, right? Some, some things may lend itself a little bit better to a lecture format and so forth than, than another as well. So I think it depends on what, you're, what type of information you're trying to disseminate, the type of learner and how they learn best. Um, and then also the level of the learner as well. So um, the Council of Emergency Medicine uh, Residency Directors, they had a paper on best practices in 2019, and they cautioned against the use of asynchronous learning in novice learners. Mm -hmm. And I'm just thinking that that's partially because novice learner doesn't always know what they don't know, and they have holes and gaps in their knowledge. And so they might go completely in the wrong direction with something. And so they might need a little bit more guidance, especially initially uh, as well. And so I think that there are different rationales for why people, you know, um, gravitate to different learning modalities in general. That makes a lot of sense to me. I, speaking from the side of the, the teacher, I sure do enjoy having that kind of live section and doing those didactics and getting that kind of feedback from the learners live when they're working independent of, of me. I worry about the point you just raised. Are they going off track? Are they really digesting this information the way I hope they, they would when I and, created it? And then the other things I can think about is that sometimes there's something to be said by the back and forth, you know, in, in discussion and discourse. Like, so we have a physiology conference that we do once a week. That's an hour and a half for our fellows. And it's with like expert level physiologists. And it's amazing that kind of back and forth, back and forth till you get to, a, to some sort of knowledge. Whereas mm -hmm. that if this was completely 
asynchronous in nature, I, I think a lot of that nuance and so forth would be lost. And I think people would be left with a lot of questions that mm -hmm. would not get answered for quite a long time. And so there would be a lot of propagation of mistakes and inconsistencies. Um, and the other thing is you also want a lot of timely decisions to be made for some patient bases, like in tumor boards and disciplinary, multidisciplinary um, uh, conferences where you want decisions to be made and asynchronous uh, learning and formats might delay those types of things to, to uh, you know, uh, for patient care. That was one of my big takeaways from your paper is that when you're thinking about asynchronous and live learning, it's both and, not either or. In other words, we should be doing both of these and they work so well together, not doing one or completely doing the other. Um, many educators listening around the country, around the world to this may be finding themselves in the spot which I'm in right now, guys. And that is that I am in charge of the second year respiratory curriculum for our medical students. And Indiana University is the largest med school in the country as of right now. And I have been asked to pre-record my didactic talks uh, for the class. We're going to have some live sessions. We're going to make it exciting, but there are some things that traditionally are didactic and they want those pre-recorded for a variety of reasons. And so I am wrestling with how to make my pre-recorded sessions here that I'm going to be working on this month uh, engaging for the students because I find, I find myself very boring when I'm just talking over a PowerPoint slide or kind of lecturing alone in my office. Uh, it's miserable and I think the students would agree. So I'm really curious uh, what you guys think. Uh, what advice would you give me on how I can make my pre-recorded talks engaging? Yeah, so Graham, I was not quite in your shoes, but as a speaker, I had to redo a talk this spring for our pulmonary pathophysiology course. And I, um, I was given the option of using a video of my lecture that had been given last year. And so I took a look at it and I realized that all of the techniques I had used for engagement were just not going to work because I was relying on peer teaching techniques. So think pair share, work at your table, and with an asynchronous format, you know, unless the student happened to have a roommate who was also a medical student, you know, that just wasn't going to fly. Mm -hmm. So there are a couple of things you can do, all of which were new to me, I have to say. I don't think I would have done this had I not been forced to do it because of COVID. But you can still use questions. So if people are used to using audience response questions, I think you can absolutely still do that. Um, and so you can advise the students at the beginning, hey, take out a piece of paper and a pen. I'm gonna ask questions and I want you to put down your nickel and write down the question on that piece of paper as we're going through. And leave room for the students to answer. I mean, certainly um, as Deepak alluded to, they can pause and take longer if they need longer. Um, but it's helpful to actually build in some time in your recording for them to sit for 30, 60 seconds and process that. So you can still use questions like you would. Um, you can also try some reflection exercises. So um, for instance, you could have them draw a graph. So draw out what you think the relationship between these two variables is. Um, you know, here's a case scenario. I want you to write down a few things that you think could be going on. You can give them a few exercises that might take a few minutes to really kind of stimulate some active processing. And then you could also use a discussion board. Mm -hmm. um, and so you encourage students to you know, post there with questions. Now, if you do that, you have to make sure you check and get back to them. Um, and, you know, certainly I think we are all in the, the habit of putting our contact information up for students to get hold of us. I think the discussion board is nice because if someone posts a question, then everybody can see the answer. Mm -hmm. 
Um, but those are a couple of ideas, and I'd love to hear what Deepak has to say about this. Yeah. Those are great suggestions, absolutely, right? Is that it's tough because it seems almost one dimensional where it is your interactiveness between you to the learner, but there is nothing that's coming back from the learner to you and also between, between learners. That's the other part of things. Mm -hmm. And then the third piece is always that you want them to interact with the content of the material as well. And so, you know, that's, and it's part of why, you know, from the EM literature, they refer to it as individualized interactive uh, instruction. That middle part, the interactive part, is probably the most important uh, part of that, I would say. And so if you're going to have a pre-recorded talk, you know, there right, exactly, things like pauses, giving them a chance to answer questions, having questions, have, if you can get people together, you know, uh, then they can actually think about it uh, as well. Um, you can, another concept is to break up the talk a bit so that rather than you giving a whole hour long talk is that if you can br uh, break it up into sections or pieces, then that's a little bit more manageable to them in terms of their attention spans as well. So that if I'm giving one on, on, I don't know, gas exchange, gas diffusion, I can break that up into either things like oxygen and then CO2 and so forth, or I can break it up into what's happening at the alveolus, you know, maybe another one on alveolar gas equation, another one what's happening in the blood and another one that's happening, uh, say at the cellular level. And so I can break this up rather than giving a one, you know, straight talk for an hour. Um, and then again, you wanna have also, the, the practices that are good for any lecture are also good for, um, you know, these pre-recorded talks. So having learning objectives so that everybody's kind of have a shared mental model of what is to be learned during this period of time, I think that's very important. Um, and other things I can think about is practicing the, the lecture ahead of time or recording it and having somebody else listen to it ahead of time so they can give you some feedback and then being willing to revise that presentation iteratively so that if you get some feedback whether it be from the students the learners that then you can make some subtle changes and you're obviously going to have to put some amount of time on the front end of creating this but hopefully it gets easier as as time gets on uh, as well yeah, one thing I'm thinking about that you touched on in the paper was this use of whiteboard. And I've noticed as um, I've dabbled in YouTube a little bit, but uh, static PowerPoint slides quickly lose people's attention. They, they thin slice the slide and read it in five seconds. It takes you 50 seconds to explain it. But if you can have motion a la Khan Academy and draw or a video, or you can demonstrate something in your office, or you can demonstrate percussion by thumping on your microphone, whatever it might be, um, you're winning. So uh, I think that also helps along with the, the tactics you guys talk about in the paper. So this is a must read paper, guys, uh, because you're gonna get these hints and strategies. I think it applies to much more than just medical education. I mean, this is a paper that could be, uh, you know, secondary uh, college education. I love how transla translatable it is to all those fields. Um, as we get close to wrapping up, uh, one of my favorite questions to ask my learners, uh, I'm gonna actually ask on you guys, and that is, in your study of this, what's one thing that you kind of learned that you didn't already know? Uh, what did you learn as you walked through this concept of asynchronous and distant learning, and um, what, what discoveries did you make? Uh, I think our listeners would love to hear. Yeah, good question. I think um, one of the I guess I have two, two answers to that. One, I think I hadn't appreciated how much asynchronous and remote learning was already being used and sort of the body of evidence out there. Um, you know, I am definitely not an early adopter of technology. And so, 
you know, this wasn't something that was really a part of my teaching practice. And so looking at the literature and seeing kind of how established this is and the, the emergency medicine guidelines that, that Deepak uh, mentioned earlier, I found very helpful um, at how much data there is out there and how established this is in many areas. And I'll say the second thing I learned, um, I guess, was something I already knew but hadn't appreciated, which is that kind of all of the best practices of teaching still apply to this. You know, the technology is new, but a lot of the, everything else is really the same. And so in many ways, it was kind of a reinforcement uh, and a good reminder about a lot of best practices of teaching. Mm -hmm. Nice. Deepak? Yeah, great points. Um, I think personally, first I learned, first and foremost, I learned that uh, Anna Brady is fantastic to work with. So start with that. Uh, second is that just how well it can work as well right, is that when it works, it really works well and it brings all sorts of people together. I mean, we can have, whether it be journal clubs where now we have statisticians involved in or, you know, we're having lots of interesting people to, to you know, give their opinions and so forth to some of these conferences that they weren't, they weren't able to uh, due to the constraints of time and place. And so I think, the, I think that's another thing that highlights the benefits are, are uh, very significant. Uh, second, I'd probably say the, that, again, the importance of an educator and teacher, not just to create the content, uh, but also to be a curator as well. And so you, it's such an important role that you serve as a resource curator to be able to say, there's so much out there. And so rather than you know, recreating all these wheels yourself is if you just go online, go and look at what stuff is out there, you can cultivate what stuff to add you know, for your trainees and house staff and so forth. Um, and so I think that's another part to this. And then lastly, I would, I would say that just thinking about that, this, that we really should be able to sustain these measures past COVID, right? Is that this is something that maybe that's what caused a lot of us to think about this and change over. But a lot of these things are fantastic that we should continue even after these next six months, year, whatever it happens to be, that could be very beneficial to our, our trainees and, uh, and learners. Well, I, for one, am happy to hear that COVID is going to end. Um, so, <laughs> you know, as with any great performance, uh, like, say, a blockbuster movie, um, there should be a sequel. And so I think our listeners are going to be watching for you to to work on another project in the future because you did such a fantastic job with this one. So can we get a commitment here on Scholarly, uh, Deepak and Hannah, right now live on the spot? You guys are going to work together on another project. Can we get that? Well, Deepak, it was great to work with you as well. I was really glad to partner with you on this project. And I'd be happy to do in the future. But Graham, we make no promises about, about when as we're all uh, pretty busy with with code here and I was so impressed with Deepak's ability to work on this while being at in New York in the in the throes of COVID. So we make no guarantees about a deadline. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, you asked, uh, you know, how Anna got in touch with me, but when she sent me an email about this, I was like, oh man. <laughs> but anyway, when I asked you to do this podcast, you probably had the same reaction. Well, no, no, uh, it was fantastic. And uh, yeah, no, I'm sure that we'll be working together more uh, in the future as well. But remember, time, time is an illusion, right? That's what we learned through, through asynchronous <laughs> learning. So we don't know when. <laughs> well, thank you so much. Uh, nice. Thank you for the paper and for you and for all you've done uh, in our field of medical education. We look for many more great things out of you both. And for all of you listening, I uh, hope you enjoyed this podcast. Please give us your feedback. Give us a shout on social media. Give us a listen. Give us a share. And uh, we'll keep making more. Take care, everybody.